joined today with some comrades to talk about the film Lapsus, which is, I suppose you would describe as a sci-fi dystopia about work and the gig economy. Before we dig into the contents of the movie, I think it would be good to just give our guests the opportunity to introduce themselves and kind of their first takes on the movie. And then we can provide a quick summary, like a synopsis for our listeners so they can follow along and then just build from there. What do you all think? That works for me. So um, frequent guest host, contributor to Labor Wave, Andrea Haverkamp, and now an external organizer in the mainstream labor movement. Congratulations. Why don't you go first in introducing yourself? Yeah, my name is uh, Andrea Herrickamp. I just started as a my first uh, staff organizer role up here in Washington State. Former grad employee down at Oregon State University, where I learned my organizing chops and really excited to dig in full time and dig into more movies like this. Uh, my name is Nick. Here they pronounce. And yeah, I'm a I'm a union member in an AFT local, grad student worker, and I'm really excited to talk about this movie. And you got your pandemic beard going too. Oh yeah, no, it's it's a personal uh, personal best for me. <laughs> My name's Kaylee. I use she her pronouns, and I just finished watching it. That's why I was late. And we also are joined by Luke. So if you want to go and introduce yourself, Luke. Howdy, howdy. My name's Luke. I uh, I am an IWW member in Seattle. Uh, Some my labor in the game industry, um, but uh, for a time I was actually kind of interested in um, making movies before I found my call in making games. So it was fun to uh, flex the uh, muscles of like thinking about what went into making this movie was the person's mindset. And it was also a real treat um, because I didn't really know what this movie was about and was actually only like uh, half paying attention during the first like 10 minutes or so. Um, But once I had some sense of uh, what this was going to be about, uh, it uh, really hooked me. Yeah, I definitely would like to hear a little bit more of the inside baseball of what you think went into making this movie. So how about we provide a quick synopsis of the film so our listeners can follow along and then just start sharing our thoughts and impressions of the film. So I'll, I'll try my best to summarize and you all just, you know, please fill in the gaps or correct me where I'm wrong. Uh, I'm also particularly bad at names of characters and films. But this film begins from the perspective of the protagonist, Ray, right? That is his name, I believe. And Ray is some kind of delivery driver. I think he works like a luggage company. And he has a brother who is sick with something called Omnia. Yeah, Omnia, which I believe is some type of chronic illness that's invisible to the eye, but it creates fatigue. And so he's trying to, and he's like a working class guy living in Queens. Seems like his life is okay, but he's probably living paycheck to paycheck for the most part. And this illness that his brother has motivates him to get his brother checked into like a health and wellness clinic to help treat his omnia. But the health and wellness clinic is very expensive. And so because he needs to afford it, he starts working in this gig economy that is real in this world called cabling for a company called Cabler, which is putting down some type of like fiber optic cables that help connect the new advancement in computer technology. That's like the really quick summary, right? Of like what the premise of the movie is. And then you get into like more of the details of 
how this company is a monopoly, how it's exploiting workers, the competition between human and robot, and how the robots are undercutting the workers. I don't know what are what are the other key parts of the plot that people think should be named here and spelled out for our listeners. I think that basically captures what the setup is. Um, it's actually one of those uh, science fiction movies that. Uh, restricts itself to like a very small number of actual like pieces uh, or like concepts that you need to really track. Um, the basic thing that anybody needs to understand is just that the company that uh, Ray is working for, the most of the time that we spend with Ray is going to be him walking through the woods laying cable on like a weird special backpack that's got like kind of a trolley attached to it and that there are uh, automated cable robots which apparently are supposed to be like uh, pace setters that might try to um, get out ahead of the actual humans working for them and it's sort of a low-level race that's going on through throughout the movie. One thing that I find really critical is it, to the plot that I, it, it's surprisingly engrossing is that this gig is trekking cables to support a new quantum computing financial market. And it's like a minimalist sci-fi, right? It just gives you a few little bits of technology that are futuristic. It's very blue collar in that it's, it's of the perspective of someone who's not on the forefront, cutting edge, benefiting of the technology, but rather the average person on the advent of, I had a lot of allegories early on to the advent of smartphones. It's like, what, you don't have the newest computer? Well, all the news is there. And it's like, oh, well, damn it, got to get, <laughs> get a new phone. And it makes some really cool links. Yeah, between healthcare, gig work, finance, and the promise of growing wages and automation. And a really minimalist, subtle world building that gives you just enough info without feeling ham-fisted. Yeah. And like you're saying too, it's a sci-fi film, but it's basically the present day. It's like this movie could happen like five years from now is what it felt like to me. Like that's how present it is. Since there's so few like labor related fiction movies in this genre, you know, I think one film in conversation is Sorry to Bother You, in which they both feel both present day but yet also in the future, feeling today's problems, but in like technology in a world that is strangely different. So it's like surreal, but it's definitely not absurdist. You know, there's not a lot of chuckles. There's just a lot of sort of edge of your seat, edge of your pillow, just like what is going to happen? I kind of wished that they had gone more into like, I think one of the the opening man, opening man, monologue when they're watching the trading video, they talk about like, this is a whole new financial horizon and never really go into like what the quantum computer does that current technology doesn't, I guess, just as a pastor, but my understanding is it's already pretty fast. So I, I was looking for a little more detail about how that works, but um, we didn't quite get that. That actually reminds me. So before anything else happens in the movie, um, we open up uh, from the POV of somebody who's like sitting in on some kind of orientation class. And it's just like uh, the, the teacher of the class is like trying to put on like uh, a training video that's supposed to like explain what all of it is. 
and he's like kind of fumbling with the video and audio outputs, like it's playing audio, but not video. And it just reminded me so much of um, like any job orientation where clearly they uh, just don't really care about whether or not the employees like actually pick up any skills. And uh, I've one, been in that situation myself, but two, there are all of these like little bits and pieces that sort of hint at just how much the company like doesn't really care the about the quality of uh, the work that's being done. Um, they really only seem to care about like the efficiency that's going into it um, because there is like a complete lack of real quality control. Um, and it seems like by far the like department that has the most resources put into it uh, is the security around protecting the robots. And I don't think any of us have described the um, the pace setting robots yet, but they're like barely bigger than like two loaves of bread. Uh, and they just like walk around maybe like five inches off the ground. Uh, and they're these little tiny things. And whenever one of the um, uh, the cablers uh, like messes with them in any way, uh, they have this whole like investigation apparatus tied into that. Uh, but when it comes to actually like setting up any of the cablers to do their job well, uh, it's just a complete free for all. I like that aspect of the film in that it kind of, the technology is in conflict. Like there's these old like analog forms of technology in conflict with the new technology. Like the protagonist Ray at first comes across as kind of a Luddite. Like he doesn't want to get a quantum computer. He doesn't want to like live in whatever the modern society is. And like you mentioned, Luke, they have these VCR like orientation trainings that aren't even working properly. But it also reveals like what the company is willing to invest its money into, like what types of technology is it trying to perfect? And the technology is trying to perfect, like you say, is the surveillance technology and the pace setting technology. These like little robot dogs that I was thinking of them as that are just trying to get the workers to speed up all the time. Because if the robot dogs get in front of you and you're cabling, it can undercut the amount of money that you get paid for the routes that you're servicing as a cabler. So that's what they invest in. That's the most sophisticated technology. And then you still have all this kind of like crappy, like clunky technology in the background at the same time. Yeah, I, I have a lot of thoughts, but maybe we'll get more into it. I, I, the, the most poignant thing was the manic pixie dream girl role that I think was like downplayed a little bit. It wasn't as strong as it is in other movies, but it was still there. The daughter of the programmer, I think. It's just, it's interesting that there always has to be like a woman who sort of raises the consciousness of the main male character. I think that's definitely a commonality between, uh, I'd say this and sorry to bother you too, you know, labor sci-fi movies written by men and it kind of brings to light, you know, just that systemic need for more, more women in leadership in Hollywood. I mean, we got this whole it's like everywhere, but yeah, I, I definitely noticed that too. I'm glad you brought that up. Well, and I think that's something else about the plot. So just to kind of finish the summary of the, what happens in the movie, and then we can start digging into the themes and the analysis of it. So spoiler alert, we're going to tell you what happens in this movie. 
watch the movie if, if you haven't now pause the podcast and maybe grab a cup of cup of coffee and go watch it <laughs> but uh yeah thank you for that <laughs> ray ends up getting a job as a cable and every person that works in this industry has to come up with their own profile name and they have like a gadget so they have like a smartphone and then another smartphone that sync up so one is provided by the company one is your own i suppose and this it's like a GPS tracker that tracks your progress as you're cabling and as you're working. And you have to come up with a profile name and then you acquire points through the work that you do as well as money, the compensation for routes that you decide to work. And it, and it sounds to me like when I was watching it, it was like the more difficult routes, the ones that are more remote pay more, but you have to work for a while in the field before you're even enabled to access those routes. But Ray kind of jumps the line because he is actually working with some shady character who I don't understand who this guy is or how he has these connections. It's like not really explained, but he sets him up with a pre-existing profile. They call it a medallion, which reminds me of like taxi drivers in New York. And the profile already has a lot of points and a lot of data on it. So Ray, even though he only started working in like two days, is able to access a route that pays him like $100,000 for completion. And while he's doing that, he does it. And it turns out that the person's profile that he has is some kind of nefarious character that nobody likes. And then he ends up meeting what I thought was an investigative reporter at first, but it turns out is, I guess, assault, like a labor organizer, somebody who's trying to organize their coworkers. As you described, the, person, the woman that's going to enlighten him and bring him to class consciousness, which he doesn't have super well at first. And then through all this intrigue, you find out that the person that Ray has taken over the profile for is some guy that like created a lot of the technology of surveillance that exists. And he undermined a previous organizing effort by creating these like robot dogs and like gaming the system against the workers. And his daughter grows up to defect, I guess, against him. I don't really exactly understand her story, but somehow her daughter, his daughter, this guy, is now like a labor organizer working as a keyboard to fuck up the system. And Ray encounters her. And then they find out like all this, there's some kind of weird conspiracy that goes on that unfolds. And then finally, Ray is able to team up with the workers organizing and they, they shut the robots down with the secret code that he acquires through his profile and encountering the dad. Lapsus is his name. And, and they win. And then it ends on an ominous note. I have to admit, I don't understand the ending of this movie. There's like a little robot dog. It shows up out of nowhere. It got away, I guess, for when all the other ones were deactivated. And then it, it ends on that. What, what was going on? Can somebody explain that to me? Yeah. The ending is basically saying, congrats, clever humans. You turned off almost all the robots and created a work stoppage. However, it is what the battle is not what it, it, it points to the long game that we face as workers because you won the day but it's a partial victory. The war will be won by a large, unrelenting labor force because at the end, right, a robot goes to where they said the humans couldn't charge their tech. It shows up. And then the people who are renting their garage, like an Airbnb, which it exists here in Seattle, I see signs for it, rent out your garage as much as 600 a month. Yike, they're charging the robot. And this robot has a red light as opposed to the others. So it's, it's showing that, it's not resolved in that the labor fight is not resolved after a single workplace, single contract negotiation, which they're kind of going for. 
So I thought it's clever in that way. And it's, it's a subtle read and it kind of connects back. And, and these subtle reads, I think in the movie are one of its strengths, right? Like I know Nick mentioned that, you know, we want to know more about the finance and tech, but that's part of just like the average worker, especially in the gig economy, who's doing deals and side hustles to make ends meet, doesn't have the time, the money to get involved in quantum finance or new computers, right? He's just trying to make, and he had like five minutes to watch the TV before going back to work. And that's, that's kind of the brilliance is that it is almost entirely from Ray's point of view, but and connecting back to, to Kaylee, like that's also one of the, the gendered aspects. I very much appreciate that she was not a romantic interest, right? At, at, at most, like they had a fun pillow fight as friends <laughs> and that was fun. However, her relationship was still tethered to a man being like a daughter um, as opposed to just like a revolutionary uh, radical woman. But I thought that that is a step forward in, and again, to, to put it in conversation with Sorry to Bother You, where the woman is absolutely a romantic interest of, of two men. <laughs> so now that we've given a bit of a summary, I kind of want to uh, touch on one of my favorite aspects of the movie that doesn't really have too much to do with the plot, but I think gives it a texture that I uh, really enjoyed. Uh, and that has to do with uh, our main character and sort of the context that he's in, because I don't think we've referenced the fact that Ray is like the most stereotypical, uh, like East Coast Italian American wearing like the Cuban shirts with the gold chain and like a tank top underneath. Uh, he's doing his best James Gandolfini impression. <laughs> and like throughout this whole movie, uh, this guy and like, the big uh, aviators and like kind of a bald spot is uh, schlepping through the woods uh, next to all of these people who look like they walked out of a Patagonia catalog. Uh, and I really liked that contrast. Mm -hmm. I really liked Andrea's interpretation of like the robot returning to the, the house where they store their gear as being like a, an indication that the fight is not over, that it's a longer campaign, right? The way that I, I kind of read that scene was that the the folks that they're renting the like the space from like are are occupying this passive income class that's like mentioned a couple of times like when Felix the guy that um, Ray ends up working for Felix's whole thing is that he gets the medallions to people they're medallions that have been used so that they have access to the higher routes that you have to have the experience for to get right and then he and his crew take thirty percent of the commission off the top. Yeah, his his whole thing, like when in that first scene where he's talking to Ray, he's like, yeah, you get into it like this. It's like passive income. And so these folks who are renting out their space to the cablers are also depending on this passive income. And at the end, we see the robot come in and like tuck itself or the, the owner, the house owner actually comes in. The one who had previously told Ray, hey, you can't charge your stuff here, comes in and like tucks the robot in and plugs it in. And like to me, it's like that's to me speaking towards this other kind of like class of people outside of the working class who are not our necessarily our allies like because there's a read in which the uh the lapsus the original guy like has kind of a class traitor moment but it's also like kind of murky because it's around his daughter and identifying her to the company um so like yeah you could say that he doesn't break the strike or like identify one of the organizers but yeah lots of personal issues there so i don't know if the class traitor uh, 
analysis really works for him. But yeah, that's kind of how I read that last scene. It's like, reminder, <laughs> there are other people involved in this system that support this system and make it make it happen. Uh, and they're not necessarily friendly towards our protagonists. Well, that's one of the things I thought about the movie. If like if it's going to be making like a clear thesis about the society we live in and how capitalism works, it seemed to me to suggest that basically all of capitalism is a Ponzi scheme, that there's like the formal economy, but then the formal economy creates all these informal economies and these schemes. So the wellness center is upon is some kind of scam. I don't I guess it's just a clear profit making scam, like sell placebos and overpriced, you know, therapy counseling, but not actually helping anybody. So that's one scheme in the movie. The gig economy itself is like a Ponzi scheme, like the way they get these cables into the system just to be outflanked by robots and, you know, constantly having to outpace each other and compete with each other. So it's like capitalism is a Ponzi scheme. That seems to me to be one of the, the arguments that the movie is making. A vague one, but it's there throughout. I also liked, Andrew, what you were saying too about, you know, they don't spell out in detail what kind of company this is. This company to me seems like some type of mismatch of like Google and Amazon, like basically combining the two giants of today into like one company. But you're getting it from the parochial perspective of the main character. And like, I think that that's a pretty, you know, I like how it structures the movie in that way because all of us as individuals can only get like a glimpse of how this complicated system really works like it's so hard to figure out where you are in time and place how you're being exploited how you're being screwed over and it's almost like a detective story like ray is constantly trying to figure out piece by piece what's even going on and he never really figures it out yeah, and that, I mean, isn't that such a something that I think that uh, now that I'm thinking about it, it's something hard to admit is I don't really know how our economy works, right? It's like the blockchain is new and there's short-term lending markets and then there's shorting on stocks, which is another short-term thing. And then there's uh, financial derivatives, like there's all these terms but how does it really work? But yet all they, what they say in the movie is all we really know, which is it's created an unprecedented growth in everyone's incomes. And there's so many new opportunities because of the blockchain. So I think one of the um, things that it gets into is that one portrays the sort of development of expertise in ways that workers can both optimize uh, and uh, sabotage uh, the jobs that they do. So when Ray uh, first shows up, he has some trouble uh, kind of keeping up with the pace setter robots that are hanging around. And he keeps coming across this uh, woman who we'll learn more about later. We've referenced before she ends up being really pivotal to the plot, the daughter of uh, this programmer, but we don't know that yet. All he sees is just somebody who uh, is apparently like sleeping in the middle of the day, uh, who like he's like constantly running into. He's uh, having trouble with the pace setter robots. Uh, and, you know, you might first think, well, if there's trouble, then, you know, just mess with them. Um, but we see somebody else who uh, has also been having trouble with the robots. And um, he sets up like this uh, wire uh, with blue tack stuck to it. 
uh, that's supposed to be right in front of the robot. And supposedly this will uh, cause it to uh, stop dead in its tracks. But apparently uh, as part of the uh, effort that the person who had Ray's uh, medallion before he did, Lapsus, they set up this thing where robots can uh, take a like DNA sample. So when the robot is stopped by the wire, it uh, kind of extends this little uh, sample taking uh, nub and it says, oh, I've identified uh, that this person uh, is the one who set up this wire that stopped the robot. Uh, Ray figures that, well, I can't, uh, I can't sabotage the robots or anything because they'll catch me because they got this DNA tracking system. But uh, a little bit later, uh, he runs into uh, the woman who uh, was sleeping during the day and uh, they have sort of this uh, ongoing conversation. Some other things are revealed about the plot during the course of it. But one of the things that she talks about uh, is number one, uh, she takes uh, intermittent naps uh, throughout the whole day rather than necessarily getting a full eight hours every night. Uh, and that lets her uh, optimize uh, her time awake and up and moving and allows her to stay ahead of her pace setter robot. And then the other thing she shows Ray is a uh, method for sabotaging the robots that doesn't get you caught. So the robots, their uh, routine is that if something stops them in their tracks, they uh, start doing their whole uh, trying to find uh, traces of DNA and figuring out like who sabotaged them. But the thing that Andrea does is she calls it uh, Rock Hedge, where she'll actually create a circle of rocks with one uh, missing first to let the robot enter it, uh, and then closes it with the last rock. And the thing is, there's just enough space for the robot to continually move around trying to find an exit, and it can't quite figure out that it's stuck, so it never tests for uh, any DNA samples or anything like that to figure out uh, if it was sabotaged. And so that's uh, sort of an example of how workers both can optimize their jobs while at the same time sabotaging it for their own benefit. Yeah, I really like that I, the idea of the, the Stonehenge as a way to, to work around that stuff and sabotage. Going back to the conversation, though, that Anna and Ray had, like that initial consciousness raising uh, conversation, I thought it was really interesting how he was pointing out like, you know, oh, like we're all just out here. We're the same. We're all workers. We're just trying to like make a buck, right? We all start out the same. We all have the same opportunities to just work our routes and complete them and get get money, right? We're all on the same page. And then she pointed out like, well, actually, you're telling me that you started with this medallion that automatically gave you 60,000 points and automatically gave you these uh, routes that you would have to normally work for like two years to get before uh, two years as a cabler before you're able to access these routes that have like a huge hundred thousand dollar payout. And I thought that was really interesting as a way to like point out this idea of, you know, in general society, right, where like folks who maybe are born into privilege or whatever, right, this idea that you just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, and that's how you make it in this world, right? And it's like, well, actually, you started out with this big inheritance or um, property in your family, or, you know, all of these opportunities and privileges based on class. So are you really... Can you really say that we're all like working from the same level to begin with? So I thought that that was kind of like a 
cool way to like bring that subject up as you know um somebody who's talking about it on like a personal level and then that was also the point that i started to think like okay this is definitely she's playing the manic pixie dream girl trope which for anybody who's not aware of what that is in in movies uh media there's this common trope where you have a main male character who you know, whatever the plot is of the story, he's going about his day, but normally there's, you know, some failing of his personal failing or whatever, right? And then he meets a girl in in the plot who is quirky and fun and kind of fulfills something in him, uh, gives, like, provides teaching moments and things like that. However, she often does not have very much substance to herself the way that she's portrayed in the plot um, and is just kind of there as a person to build up the main male character in this movie i think it is a little bit different because she is one of the main you know organizers of trying to figure out how to sabotage the robots and get their demands met as uh, as contractors in this work and yeah again it's not like a necessarily a romantic relationship that they develop but she still kind of becomes the like her him meeting her becomes a pivotal moment for him to start to understand the kind of situation he's actually in it's so close to providing her depth there's a couple times where they're like so why are you doing it and she's like i don't have to tell you and then they're like so what's the deal between you and your dad who is like the architect of the dna detecting system and kind of like accidentally gives and you know protects her and she's like I'll just say, it's like, I would love to know. And then I think alongside gender, like it's, you know, in thinking of critique, not as a condemnation, but just an obs- uh, 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 an observation, you know, the, the cast is majority white and fair skinned. There's, I think the two most prominent black characters are Frank, who is the person who kind of black market gets these medallions to people and then gets a cut and then brings another um, black strong person to sort of like threaten um, or at least dark skinned, I'm not sure, uh, ethnicity, right? Compared to like majority white other cast and fair skin. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's a dynamic, um, again, pervasive in Hollywood that I think is interesting. But I mean, there's a, there's one really cool cultural moment that was awesome was at the beginning, uh, one of the holidays that recognized by the city government is Shavuot, which as a Jew, I will tell you is an extra, it's a minor holiday. It's like, it's like they're like trying to get into the Hebrew calendar and it's a lunar calendar and it changes every year. But like he got a ticket on Shavuot. And so like they're they're uh that's something that I just gotta say muscle top to the writer <laughs> for for throwing a shout out to uh Chevrolet. <laughs> I I do think that I align with what you're saying, Andrea, like critique not as condemnation of the film, but just an observation is that I think one of the weakest parts of the film is drawing tying in Anna's story, Anna's story with the fact that she somehow is related to this architect guy. It's like, why, why that didn't matter at all. Like it just didn't have to be in the plot. Like, why couldn't it be that she's just a worker that wants to organize through the conditions of her exploitation, just like anybody else 
has a vested interest in it and is just a badass. Like, why couldn't she have a story like that? So I, I do think it's kind of a weird, weak moment in the movie. Uh, but I also, it reminds me of something I wanted to share with y'all. I read a couple of reviews of this movie right before, you know, watching it or talking about it with y'all. One was a very short review. Another one was like a review on Roger Ebert's website. And both reviewers described the movie as light in tone, which I was <laughs> completely confused by. This was not a light movie at all, or like a, I guess they called it a satire. They were reading it as a satire. It's satirical to an extent, but it's still not a lighthearted film. And the other thing that both the reviewers said that they felt was the weak part of the movie was the ending of the movie, the like third act where you start seeing workers come together and organize and sabotage the robots and start a work stoppage in order to increase their wages and working conditions. Both reviewers thought that that was when the movie got weak and they preferred the movie prior to that moment. And I just thought that was kind of more of an interesting commentary, not on the movie, but on like, what the fuck is this film review industry that we swim in? And that's when I thought the movie was getting the most interesting was towards the end when you start seeing that there's like a coordinated effort amongst workers. And that could have been a movie in and of itself, like just organizing this campaign around the gig economy to unionize it. Yeah. The, I guess the, the character arc, the portrayal of Ray was really interesting. And I think that y'all have brought forward like some of the really good critiques around like the Manic Pixie Dream Girl aspect of Anne and everything. Uh, one thing that I did like about how they handled Ray's character is when we get to the end, when the direct action is happening and everybody's like in the room together, they didn't make Ray the hero. And I really liked that. I, I also love, sorry to bother you, but like Cash is always like the most important person like in his own story, right? And in terms of the action and the organizing that happens, whereas Ray ends up having the kill switch to turn off the drones but he doesn't have to be the person who administers it. He doesn't ever get praised for having it. Like he just, when he understands his own stakes in the situation and the economic collective contract that he's in, right? Like he gets involved and he does so like in a very kind of like small way, I guess. And I really appreciate getting, like I loved the relationship between Ray and his brother because he's not just a blue collar worker, right? He's a full-time caretaker. And the way that I read, like, the first act of the movie is Ray trying to find stable employment and he keeps getting, he gets a couple of offers like throughout the first 30 minutes of the film that he keeps like setting aside because he needs to focus on taking care of his brother. He says that like the job where his, his initial job in the film is delivering lost baggages for a company that like contracts with airports to deliver lost baggages. And he tells his boss when his boss is like, Hey, I want to give you a promo promotion. Also like this could be your company. Ray's like, no, delivery works for me. It's flexible. I, I have to be flexible to, to be able to take care of my brother. And he's just always so sweet with his brother. He literally keeps track of like his time by what vitamins and supplements his brother needs. And so I loved when you when we have the big organizing dramatic moment that um it's actually it's his brother who's got the walkie-talkie and is just listening to hear when people are like have successfully turned off the devices. But in terms of like the actual organizing in the film, right? Like it basically happens in one line when Anne tells him like, hey, you need to get involved. The organizing's all done. All we need is for you to figure out the kill switch. Would like to have seen more, seen more of that. Well, that uh, makes me want to ask, pose this question to you all because as this show is focused mostly on organizing and labor organizing, 
What do we think about the union strategy in this movie? I know it's only a small part of the plot, but the strategy is to sabotage the machinery, is to actually create a work stoppage through destroying the machine, which was a common practice uh, in, in you know the emergence of industrial capitalism in this country, at least, you know, monkey wrenching, as they called it. That's how they win is they it's kind of like a single moment, right? They just sabotage the machines and then they have negotiating power. But what do folks think about the way that organizing is depicted in this film? I'd say the the reviews like the one on RogerEber.com last paragraph says still what a debut for a first time feature film for a low budget sci-fi literally shot in New York and then like a forest upstate New York, like where they can drive to drive to. You know, it's got it's got a 90 plus percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's it's so good. And I'm really excited to see what what, you know, if, if these folks still put out more. Cause yeah, like there was those like hints, those like beginnings of the labor organizing in the last half, you know, the the film synopsis says what must choose to help fellow workers or get rich and get out. That tension really isn't there. He quickly is like, oh yeah, well, I'll help you out. I just gotta figure out how. Whereas I, I find that I think we've all experienced that that as far as like an emotional and personal and like a, a toiling moment for a lot of people in their political working class unionist development, that right there is worth a thousand words and is ne- is usually not a quick thing. For some people it is, but for a lot of people, that is a tough sell. Yeah, I definitely would agree. Um, I think uh, Steven Spielberg's Lincoln, for all of its flaws, does demonstrate that you can make a movie about trying to convince a bunch of people to get on board with a thing. Very, very dramatic. I want to briefly touch on what Andrea just said and then come back to that question, because I think that I read it as when he left the forest, was done with his weekend of work and he wanted to get his big payout the hundred thousand dollars and realized that it wasn't it didn't go through his account i think that's when he really realized like oh okay i'm gonna work with these folks so it was something that had to like personally affect him which is also a common thing i think that we see in labor movement right with like unionizing or or trying to yeah agitate our fellow workers is that like how is is this happening to you personally? Um, unfortunately, I think that has to happen too often, right? Instead of it just being like a kind of like, oh yeah, like I want to be able to be in solidarity and mutual aid with folks. But so that's how I read it. And then organizing wise, I think you know we we get little tidbits of it throughout where he kind of like comes up on the the groups of people like whispering in the tents, right, and like trying to like figure out like okay, what what is our strategy here? What are we gonna do? So we see that things are happening, but I don't know if that's made very clear, right? Like if, if that's if you're not coming from a labor background, if you're going to interpret that as like, okay, these are like these are organizing meetings happening. Are you trying to say that people are agitated by the bread and butter issues like healthcare and wages that affect their life and not by reading a communist manifesto or conquest for bread? <laughs> Because that's something I like in what you saw there is like his literal daily life is what got him agitated and ready to put it all on the line for everyone around him. Yeah, but it also he was being told by one of his co-workers, I guess, right? Like they're contract workers, so not really. But he was being told before that happened, like things aren't so great out here. And he didn't necessarily believe it until it happened to him. 
So it's kind of like a positive negative, you know, but it is real life. So like that happens in real life. Thinking about all these moments, uh, you know, I just got to do a huge shout out to Madeline Wise playing Anna, just like her masterful deadpan deliveries are just like nonplussed faces uh, in moments were really good. Like she was just a terrific actor. So was Dean Imperial, who I think I want to give also a nod for one of the coolest IMDb profile pictures ever. <laughs> I just love it. And, uh, you know, the, the sound score, which actually was Noah Hatton directed, wrote, scored musically too, which, I mean, there were some terrific moments where the music, especially on the outro too, just really brought that unsettling, futuristic unease that I think, especially in the pandemic, you walk outside and you can, I mean, here in Seattle, you kind of feel that vibe, seeing signs for renting out your garage, like an Airbnb, and you see Amazon people everywhere. And it's like, oh, so some masterful work on all them in this, you know, the themes aside, the actual laborers, the workers who made this, I I think we're just fabulous, the whole cast. I, I like how moody it is and like a lot of shadows in the movie, particularly in the very beginning when you see like his house and just how dark and kind of dreary his living situation is. And I agree the the tone of the movie is like furthered by the music. So director does a great job. I do also agree with those moments like you're saying that Anna's character is great when she just like straight faced, totally calmly is just poking at Ray's ideology and just kind of like poking at his like baseline assumptions of like, I just work hard and I just stick my head down and get by. That is one of the most common things I hear as an organizer. People are just, they say right off the bat, their default position is to deflect, to say, I do a good job and that keeps me safe and protected. And everybody knows that that's not true. Like nobody actually believes that sentiment when they say it. And you see, she just kind of calmly is poking at Ray's ideas and his ideology. And then what does he do? He like runs away, you know, as soon as he's caught out on it. And maybe that is the beginning of him starting to turn towards the organizing. I do also like how the organizing is depicted kind of this one great moment of everybody just shows up in the same tent. They've all just stopped working and taking these big risks that, you know, take so long to organize and get people willing to do. You know, it's like a general strike moment. It's just like a, we, we turned over the world in one day kind of thing. So probably a glamorized view of organizing, but, you know, also still fun. Some of the things that Kaylee is saying wants to touch on before we kind of like start bringing this to a conclusion and wrap up here is just how there's a lot of environmental motifs throughout this movie. I think in particular, Ray is like afraid of the technology. He seems to believe that it's gonna, that it's like not safe, that it's toxic, which is kind of an interesting aspect to think about that. The omnia, like how people don't believe that it's a real thing, but it's also very pervasive. And then you're talking about how the original lapsus is a bootlicker. So, Kaylee, I'll hand it off to you. What did you want to say about these things? Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I want to hear other people's thoughts on that. But like, you know, the the original, the person who created the robots, programmed them, um, and also created this DNA bank, which I don't think we've touched on yet, right? So he was an, originally a cabler, and then it doesn't explain why, but he's, he, he became a bootlicker and started to um, develop these robots that become the, the, 
the pacers for the other the human cablers. And then he also started while he was still a cabler, he started to collect DNA samples of the other cablers and lied and said it was for a leukemia blood drive or bone marrow drive. So he was lying about that because the DNA was then used as like the original bank to be able to tell who was trying to sabotage those robots, right? And um, and then they would become incarcerated. He was a, a worker, right? And then for some reason decided he was going to become a bootlicker for this company and wrecked everybody. It doesn't really explain more about that, but it does seem like maybe in the end, even though there's that personal connection with with his daughter where he doesn't out her as one of the people involved in this organizing. Um, maybe he's also trying to um, kind of make up for his mistakes. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, you know, bootlickers. <laughs> um, it's there. It's available, right? Like, it seems like he was able to, like, kind of, he has some skills. He was able to use them and make money off of it and get by. And now he's living, like, a cushy life. And, you know, that happens in organizing drives, too. Right? Like, people should be aware. You're organizing a union in your workplace, management's going to recruit people off the shop floor to be on their side and they're going to offer them perks and promises and they're going to try to recruit bootlickers too. And that happens. It's like people get by that way. It's a competition-based economy. So they're able to fuck over their coworkers and make money. They're going to do it. I kind of like that they don't really even provide much explanation for like, why was this guy motivated to turn against his coworkers? he just did he just could Kaylee's note about uh, the mental health thing makes me feel like it's so real like I'm just thinking about the the debate on whether attention and ADHD and that sort of stuff is real and you know why is it on the rise human brains were literally like research shows we were not meant to process thousands of images a day we were never our brains were never designed for that amount for the information that we get every single day the change like all of that stuff i'm no psychomacologist but you know whether it's that whether it is the unending sort of dream and changes going on in the world uh, and the pandemic, like the wave of depression and anxiety that we're feeling. That's like so real. And they created like a specific term for the sort of lethargy and uh, depression and just like lack of like motivation in this late capitalist world. And then there's also alongside it, you know, that, you know, we could talk forever. There's just so many interesting bits in this world that they constructed, but the healthcare clinic, and then to, to briefly say like the, the use of color in the film is really great. As soon as it goes into healthcare, bright, fluorescent, white, clinical, clean, expensive surveillance cameras, again, surveillance, $10,000 a week to maybe treats the doctor so so like con like almost calculatingly is like I don't think he's responding it sounds like we need to up it to the $19,000 a week treatment and they're not really allowed to talk to the patient not really allowed to hear this sort of alienation between people and care and nurturing and health you know that theme present uh I as well as like homeopathy, natural medicine, which actually seemed to work a bit. So they didn't kind of go for like the $300 tea is a scam. They were more like the $10,000 um, 
what they call it, like an electromagnetic something, <laughs> you know, like that, the hospital was kind of the scam and actually just reconnecting with, you know, the natural world, connecting with the natural world, not laying cables over it and putting giant magnetic blocks in the middle of it was actually uh, therapeutic. So uh, some fun themes there. I actually think though, he had, so when Ray breaks his brother out of, out of that hospital, they had a good amount of time before they went to, what's his name? The guy's name who is the original programmer who is making all the tea. Uh, laps, yeah. Um, so bef- there's a good amount of time before they actually get to him, right? And he, the brother seems to be doing fine. At least they focus less in the movie on him being so tired and needing to go go sleep and take breaks. But it's also the time that he starts becoming active in this like campaign and doing something that he might see as worthwhile, right? And so while it's like, they make commentary on whether or not this is, yeah, like a real, a real disease, a real mental health thing. There's also this, the other side of it where we can, yeah, we can like, we can see that like, for our society that like, you know, if we're just doing the daily grind, then, then our mental health is fucking garbage. But most people in uh, movement work, right? Not just labor work, but like, you know, social justice movements, they really start to see that like, oh, organizing to change the conditions of my life, to change the world, right? Has greatly improved my mental, physical, emotional health. So I think that that maybe was more of the solution than the expensive teas. And I think they really bring that in with when the brother Jamie is in the clinic and he's talking to the other one of the other patients and the other patient is I forget the lead up but he gets to the point where he's basically like he's talking about how they deal with their illnesses which I read as like like uh Andrea put in the the chat the malaise of meaningless work right like being run down under capitalism is a great analogy for this omnia this mysterious um, illness that he has and his his fellow patient says something like you know, it, it really makes sense. This is the only the only natural reaction is to withdraw. And just like that feeling of like powerlessness, there's nothing I can do to like create change in my life, right? Like just withdraw, just check out. And it's through the events of the story that Jamie overcomes that. And like you just said, Kaylee, find something worth fighting for. Oh, interesting. I like that. So organizing is part of the healing process. I mean, I know you and I have been saying for years that... <laughs> organizing is the best antidepressant we've ever found, right? Yeah, that's absolutely true. So like Nick and I have had lots of conversations over time and I've definitely gone through deep bouts of depression. And I think the greatest antidepressant I've ever encountered was organizing, was getting involved in activism and local efforts. And and I think part of that is really that you're also, you're building community. You're starting to build new social networks. Those networks are based on meaningful participation, like people want to be there, people are connecting on shared values. It's very different than like living in an alienated society where a lot of your daily forms of socialization are are transactional. You know, you talk to somebody that you purchase goods from and you have small talk about the weather for about 30 seconds. And that can help. Apparently those small forms of social bonds are beneficial as we've been learning during the pandemic, but they're not enough. And I think that the relationships I built through organizing, even through doing the show to some degree, go much farther for me personally and like 
keeping the blues away, you know, helping me get motivated for the next day. So absolutely. I like, I like you teasing that out of this movie because I didn't think about that at all. I actually thought that the tea worked. (laughs) That's all. That was my surface. Brilliant. (laughs) Brilliant, Kaylee. (laughs) Well, we've been talking for a little while now. Do folks, I think it's probably time to start trying to bring this to a conclusion and we can share like our final thoughts, anything that we didn't touch on. I also think it'll be interesting to just try to make an argument about like, what is the thesis of this film? What, what is this movie really trying to say and accomplish, which is kind of a big, big ask. But uh, if I'm going to put it out first, I really think the thesis of the film is that capitalism is a Ponzi scheme that hurts our environment and our health in multiple ways. And the only anecdote to changing it is by destroying the machines by sabotage and by organizing unions. That's the thesis to me that, you know, that's the quick thesis. I think there's more to it, but that's what it's laying down when I first watched it. One of the theses of this movie is that uh, really uh, there, there is no other way out than to throw sand in the gears of the machine uh, because it is going to catch you in them one way or the other. Like uh, I, I think back to what sort of um, the inciting incident for the third act where Ray uh, was like, his alarm failed to wake him up when the machine lapped him. And it's like right about to plug its cable in. And the only thing that he can do is rather than setting up the rock hedge that Anna showed him, he just picks up a big rock and smashes it uh, and buries it like it's Goodfellas. And so even with all of the advantages he got, uh, he is now like $100,000 uh, short of what he is supposed to be for what he needs to like pay for his brother's treatment and also to like the black market guy who got him the hookup in the first place. So even the folks who uh, have a head start uh, are going to get ground up in that machine too. The robots, when you take an unauthorized break, which we didn't talk about that very much, but it's interesting um, so if you are tired on the trail and you need to take a break, you stop, but you haven't, it's not an authorized time. The, your phone starts just beeping a lot and it says, and it says like, you know, unauthorized break, unauthorized break until you start moving again. The moment you start moving, it says challenge your status quo. And that's like trying to like be motivator to the, the people out there hiking, right? The cablers. But I think that's the, the, the thesis is more like challenge the status quo. Kaylee's touching on the same points I was going to get at, and I really appreciate it. Uh, we didn't talk about the rests, and I thought it was really funny. There were a lot of, I watched with subtitles, and there were a lot of subtitle inconsistencies. Like, when he sits down to take the break, his phone beeps at him, like you're saying, and it says, what I hear audio is rest denied. What the subtitles pick up is rest tonight. And there are, like, a couple of things like that that happens throughout the film that I was like, these, these are really interesting little, like, inconsistencies. But I especially like that you brought up the, the phrase challenge your status quo, because having done all of these one-on-one conversation workshops and like all of these, like how to start an organizing committee, you know, the status quo is like the phrase that I've used over the past few years to like constantly like organizing is about challenging the workers perception of the status quo and then getting into action to like overturn it. And this is a great example of how corporate corporate culture can appropriate the language out of organizing spaces 
And yeah, this whole idea of like the individual status quo, the status quo is like your work performance and that's what you're trying to like challenge. Like, no, that's, it's a great example of how that gets appropriated. <laughs> and I also like that it's kind of a, a remark on Google, right? Like, do no evil. Isn't that like Google's original motto is don't be evil? Well, I, I don't have anything uh, uh, to say that y'all haven't said. I think I just want to, you know, to, to folks hearing, I think, I mean, it's, it's great. I think one thing that I'm walking away with is that, uh, you know, there's a fun little tidbit uh, on the like movies, like Q and a, that is actually, you know, it's, it's quite a family film literally because the, the character of his little half brother played by babe Howard is actually the younger half brother of writer, director, scorer, Noah Hutton and the dad who was the original lapsus is his dad. <laughs> and so just thinking about how we really need to create more art, more media that's outside. What a, what a film. I hope we see more of Madeline Weiss out there who played Anna, the whole bunch small budget uh, need much more. If you're out there and you're unsure about whether to watch it, you know, it's, just a, probably a couple bucks to rent it, to price a cup of coffee and support this uh, local independent artist who very few movies will touch on organizing and labor. And this is one of the few that do. And I had a lot of fun watching it and also talking about it. And yeah, the themes y'all mentioned, the thesis statement of the movie is, uh, it's, it's just good. It's what y'all said. Well, with that, I think we should wrap this up. I want to thank you all for joining in on the conversation watching this film together i also want to thank taylor hess who is one of the producers of the film that reached out to labor wave radio and made this possible this conversation possible so thanks for reaching out thanks to director noah hutton for also sharing this movie with us i'd say like maybe we should end it on like a recommendation so labor wave radio gives this five sabo cats out of five sabo cats i'm not going to do the two thumbs up because those those guys suck. But yeah, definitely recommend it. Thanks again for everybody's time. Had a lot of fun talking to you. And let's do this again sometime. All right. Catch you later. Bye. This was fun. Thank you all.